0: Good morning everyone it um, really is uh, a privilege to be able to stand here with God's people both in the room and uh, around the town and beyond and so uh, it's a it's a thrill to be with you and to uh, continue our series together in Luke's gospel um, my name is uh, Morris for those of you may be not so familiar uh, with who I am. I'm one of the elders of the church here, and one of my particular responsibilities is representing the vision of our church to the nation. So, our vision is uh, we're here to make Jesus famous in Ipswich and the nations. So, it's like Ipswich and everywhere else. And uh, that's the bit that I'm busy with. On behalf of all of uh, you here, uh, the elders take really good care of me, and I'm sent out representing the mission of God to the nations, together with Rachel. uh, It's been a frustrating year for all of us. It's been a frustrating year for us. Um, We should have been in Sweden for three months in the middle of the year. Right now, we should be in Serbia and uh, on our way back through Albania and so on, back after serving our friends and our churches out there. It's not been possible, but it's amazing the opportunities that have opened up and just getting acquainted with this sort of technology and uh, being able to connect with people around the world. So yesterday morning we had a prayer meeting for our church plant in Malmo in Sweden and there were people uh, praying and prophesying from England and Wales and France and Canada and Sweden and Norway. It was quite remarkable. We can all be in one room and and bless and encourage each other in that way. And so uh, the mission of God continues and will continue to continue. But uh, praise God that he still gives us these amazing opportunities in the middle of a crisis in this way. So we're working our way through Luke's gospel. I want to encourage you, if you've got your Bibles there, uh, can you open your Bibles at Luke 15? Um, I'm not going to read all the way through it, but we're going to refer all the way through it. So it's good if you've got it open in front of you there. Uh, These are some of the most well-known parables of Jesus that we read about in this passage of scripture, a parable, as I'm sure you've been told many times, is a simple story that is told to illustrate or remind us of a spiritual or a moral principle or truth. So before we dig into that, let's think a little about Epizeuxis. I'm sure when you woke up this morning, you thought, I hope Morris talks about Epizeuxis. (laughs) <laughs> and epizuxis in grammar is where you repeat a word or a phrase to give it greater emphasis. Okay? So I could say I like you. I could say I I really like you. Bit more emphasis there. I could say I really, really like you. Or in the words of the modern-day sonnet, I could say, I really, 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 really like you. Never give in, never give in, never, never, never. In nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in, except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force, never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy is a very good example of Epizoxis. Who was that? Churchill. Never going to give you up. Never going to let you down. <laughs> Never going to run around and desert you. Rick Astley. Okay. This is Ep- Epizoxis. God really loves you. No, he really, really loves you. He's paid your penalty, covered your shame, overcome your enemy. And Jesus uses epizeuxis often when he is speaking to add emphasis to his words. Most famously, in John's Gospel, 20 or 30 times, you hear him say, uh, maybe you've read it in many different translations, Verily, verily, I say to you, truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus is adding emphasis you know, different translations in the Bible translate this. I, I tell you the truth. I tell you the solemn truth. Yeah, Most assuredly, I say to you, truly, I tell all of you emphatically. And this is how people are trying to uh, translate the fact that Jesus is saying, I really want you to hear this. Okay, Pay attention. I really want you to hear this. Now, from what I can find, and maybe uh, in your studies you might be able to find some more, I can only find two occasions in the New Testament when the same word is used three times. One is is well-known, one is a little bit less well-known. Anybody give me one example? Holy, 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 well done, gold star. Revelations 4 and verse 8 says this, "...each of the four living creatures had six wings." And was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings, and day and night they never stopped saying, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy means being set apart for God, not like this grimy, grotty, fallen world, but pure and beautiful, and set apart for the purpose of God, and in these verses. John is reaching for words to try and describe Jesus and just how beautiful and pure and unlike the fallen world Jesus really is. And he says he's holy. No, he's holy, holy. No, he is holy, holy, holy. Emphasis. And then in Revelations 8 and verse 13, it says this, As I watched... I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. Right, the context of this is quite terrifying. <laughs> we will get to Luke 15, okay? But this is, this is quite, quite important, this. So here we go. So we've got the seven trumpets. If you've ever read through Revelation, this is chapter 8. Pick it up at verse 8. It says... The fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Whoa, 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 because of the trumpets that are about to be blown. I'm thinking, crikey, it's pretty grim already. Yeah, no? And now, whoa, 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 there's some more trumpets going to be blown. And why have I gone into that? <laughs> i supposed to be preaching about Luke 15. Well, I just think it's important to comment on this, all right? We are a long, long, long way from these events. All right? For those who have ears to hear, okay? Whatever people say about our current crisis, it is nothing... Nothing, nothing, see the epizuxis I'm using here? Compared to what we're just reading here about what the last times are going to look like. Okay, nothing like it. We've got a government doing their level best to protect the people in their care and they've imposed a few temporary limitations. Do I think the government has handled the crisis well? Probably not. Do I think anybody else could have done a better job? I very much doubt it. Do I think I could do better not for all the tea in China, all right? Very grateful these people are trying to help us out here, trying to protect us. My friend Vlada in Serbia called me last night. He's working together with a church in his town, a Roma church. and The pastor is the same age as him. Five days ago, he contracted the virus. He's dead now. Five days. Spoke to my friend. I should have been there at the moment. Spoke to my friend in Albania. 20 families in his church have the virus. You know, I'm not, I'm not fearful of this virus at all, but I am grateful for people who are doing their best to try and help protect me at this time. And we're nowhere near this. When people talk about the end, oh, rubbish, come on, it's nonsense. We're nowhere near that. Do I think that my religious freedoms have been infringed? Not at all. For every one thing that I can't do at this time, I can think of 10, 20, 100 things I can do. Yeah? So uh, in Isaiah 58, you know, what is the sort of worship that God wants? He says, okay, you want to worship me? Yeah, but I'm not being allowed to sing. I had to settle a dispute in one of our churches on the mainland of Europe this week because of an argument. Someone started up singing and someone stood up, shouted, told them to stop singing. (laughs) So they shouted back, I'm allowed to sing, you know, whatever the government says. And you think, oh, come on, guys, let's get a bit real. What is the sort of worship that God wants? Well, read your Bible, Isaiah 58, share your bread with the hungry. You can do that. Yeah? Bring the homeless poor into your house, you can do that. Watch out for those who are the most vulnerable, you can do that. I can show you plenty of things you can do for all the things at the moment for a short period of time because someone's trying to protect us that we can't do these things. Anyway, just to cheer you up, if this really was the end times, there's nothing you can do about it anyway. Why? Because it's the end times. (laughs) I don't know what people say. You know, when people had all the thing about the European Union being like Babylon, and you know, we had to get out of the European Union because it's like Babylon. You think well, you can't get out of it? You can't escape the end times. You know, the people in here had to live through it. When you read about this revelation, so if we really are living in the end times, there's no way out of it. Just be grateful that you are numbered uh, among the people of God, and He's going to take you out of this. But folks, this isn't the end times, right? These are not. The marks of the beast and all that rush. Come on. No. So what has this all got to do with Luke 15? Well, Luke 15 is a classic epizuxis. We all know what an epizuxis is now. The same story is repeated by Jesus three times for particular emphasis. Verse 4 to 7, the story of the lost sheep. A man leaves his 99 sheep to go and find the one lost sheep. And when he finally finds it, he brings it home on his shoulders with great happiness. That's the story there, the story of the lost sheep. Verses 8 to 10, the story of the lost coin. A woman has 10 valuable coins but loses one, so takes a lamp and a broom and searches every corner of the house until she finds the lost coin with great happiness. And then verses 11 to 31 in much more detail, the story of the lost son or the prodigal son. A man has two sons and the younger son demands his inheritance from his father and he leaves home. He spends all his money on reckless living. A famine hits the land and he finds himself destitute and feeding pigs. This is a story written for a Jewish audience. And so obviously for a Jew to be feeding pigs was the ultimate humiliation. So he decides to go home and confess his rebellion to his father and ask to be a hired man in his father's home. But the father sees him from a long way off, runs to him. You know, it describes that it was quite an. In, it was quite. A, you know, he threw his dignity away. He sort of picked up his robe and he's running out to see his son, and he embraces him and kisses him and receives him back. As his son and celebrates with great happiness. A lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. Verses 6 and 7. Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Verses nine and ten Rejoice with me, Epizuxis. Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Verse thirty two The Father talking to his older son, who really struggled with the fact that his father was so gracious to the son that had rebelled. And uh, he said, look, we have, to be, we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So what is Jesus saying here? D- Jesus is saying, we are lost, lost, lost. We're lost. We're like the sheep, wandering on and on from one patch of grass to another, from hour to hour, our eyes only on what is immediate in front of us, short-sightedly unaware that we're not where we should be and all the time straying further and further away from the flock and from the safety of the fold. We're like the coin, incapable of helping ourselves, stuck in a dark, dirty corner can't help ourselves, can't even bleat like a sheep. We cannot make our own way home. We're like that son exercising deliberate and selfish and rebellious independence, trying to take for ourselves what is ours before time, cutting ourselves off from our father. We are lost, lost, lost. We are miserable, 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 alone and afraid like the sheep, cold and lifeless like the coin, in the mud with the pigs like the sun, an independent, rebellious life separated from our Father is miserable, miserable, miserable. Aren't you pleased you came out this morning? But, but, are you ready? We are found, found, found. The man who came to seek and save us. I have found my lost sheep, he cries. The woman searching tirelessly with her lamp to find us. I have found my lost coin, she cries. The father runs to embrace the returning son. He was dead, but he is now alive. He was lost, but he is now found, he cries. Found, found, found. We have been found. The Bible tells us each one of us has strayed from our father God like a wandering sheep, has become lost like that coin. We've rebelled against our father like that son, every one of us. But he has searched for us, he has pursued us, and when we had finally turned from our independent and rebellious ways and turned back to him, he has embraced us with love and conferred upon us the full rights and privileges of sonship. And we are given the right to be called the children of God. We are found, found, found. And for those who like this sort of thing, there's a Trinitarian aspect. You think, why are there the three parables? Well, commentators would say there's a Trinitarian aspect to this. You've got Jesus, the son, who came to seek and save the lost. He's the man going to find the lost sheep, leaving the safety and sanctuary of heaven to go into the wilderness to find the one that was lost. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. The woman is the bride of Christ, illuminated by the Spirit of God, searching, sharing the responsibility with the Son to seek and save those who are lost in the community, going searching every corner, bringing out the lost. And of course, there's the Father, with arms wide, receiving home, the repentant sons and daughters There's beautiful Trinitarian symmetry to these three parables. We are found, found, found. And there is joy, joy, joy. God is so happy that he found you. All right? God is so happy that he found you. It gives him great joy. It gives him great joy. He is delighted that you were lost but now found. He is delighted that you were dead but now alive. He he is delighted that you were an outcast but now you're his son. You're his daughter. You have the right to be called a child of God. You've got no other rights but that one. And that's the only one worth having. You've heard me say this fed up with people talking about what their rights are. I've got the right to sing in a church. You've got the right to be called a child of God. Be happy. <laughs> be happy with that. Happy. God is delighted. Now, here, here's the thing. In my pastoral experience, probably 30 years now, I would say that one of the things I observe that the Christian finds it most difficult to do is to live in the reality of, of the ongoing delight of God. Right? When you turned away from your rebellious ways and you turned back to God, he was delighted, 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 happy, happy, happy. Joy, joy, joy. It gave him the most pleasure. I mean he loves us to see us going on in our it's not that, you know, he wasn't happy with the 99. He was he's very happy with us walking on in our obedience and looking to uh, learn what it means to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus every day. He loves that. He's happy with that. and He sings over us with, 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 with beautiful songs and he presents us to himself with great joy. But nothing matches that joy when he found us. That has given God the greatest joy. Joy. Epizeuxis. Joy. 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 Three times I'm telling you the same story so you can understand how happy I am that I found you. The reality is this that in spite of his majesty and holiness and universal power and greatness, God astonishingly, astonishingly cares for each one of us, one at a time, and is delighted in each one of us. He's delighted in you. You make him happy. <laughs> I think many Christians struggle with this. They do. They can go to a conference and they can sing and tears in their eyes. Oh, yeah, Father loves me. Oh, yeah. Then they go home and five minutes later, they've forgotten it. <laughs> they've forgotten it. And they're thinking, I've got to work to make him happy. I've got to strive. I better pray. <laughs> I've got to do all this. No, no. It's a done deal. Tim prophesied. Tim Virgo prophesied over me recently. And he said, there was a time in your life, Morris, when you made the decision that you're all in. Now, I'm not saying that to say, look at how well I've done. I just thought, that is just so true. It's so true, you know. I, I, I've come to understand that God really loves me. <laughs> he really does. And anything else and everything else is built on that truth, that he actually likes me and he enjoys my company. Yeah? And he loves me. I'm his son. I stuff it up. I'm a miserable so-and-so from time to time. But it doesn't change the fact that, you know, God loves me. And it's not cheesy conference talk. It's not Sunday morning, five minute talk. No, it's the bedrock of my life. It's the bedrock of my life. I wake up in the morning, I think, well, I know God loves me. I know he's happy to see me, <laughs> always. Yeah, that's where I live. I live in that place. And in my pastoral experience, many Christians struggle with that. And I'm not saying that in any critical way. I'm just saying, you, we must be careful not to be like the other son. In this story, you know, you know, it is, in verse 29, the other son. So the the father had two sons. He had the one son who rebelled and took everything and ran off with it and squandered it all in in immoral living, and then said, you know, I'm going to come back and say I'll I'll be your. It's better to be your hired man than to live like this. And the father said, no, you're my son. (laughs) I'm really happy. I'm happy, happy, happy that you're back, and we're going to celebrate. And the older son said, hey, wait a minute, I've been here all the time. And what's he say in verse 29? He answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Now, can I offer this suggestion that this son has not quite understood what it means to be a son? Is this what he, how he sees his father? I've been slaving for you. Yeah? His father said, Look, no, you've al- you're always with me. You're- you've always been my son. You know, but this one was lost. I thought he was dead, and now he's back. And he wants to come back as a slave. And I'm saying, No, you're my son. And the older son is saying, Look, I behave like a slave. And look, you don't. You're thinking, No, this guy has not understood this. And I think many Christians that I meet, it's a bit like this. They're not, no, we're not living like slaves. We're living like sons. We're living like daughters. We're loved. We're accepted. We're forgiven. Yeah? He's a good, good father. Have you heard that song? Epizuxis. (laughs) Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And I'm loved by him. Yes, I am. I am. I am. Got to say it three times to get it into our little thick skulls. All right that God has a universe to run, galaxies to uphold, atomic particles to manage, governments to rule. But there isn't much in the Bible that says that all heaven rejoices over orbits of the stars, or the rise of kings, or the arrangement of molecules, (laughs) or the successful international conference that we put on. But Of course, God takes pleasure in all of these things, but Jesus here is referring to something special. When one sinner repents, there is a special joy in heaven. Right? God cares for us one at a time. God is delighted in you. If you take nothing else away from what I'm saying today, please. We have to learn to live in a place where we know that we're loved by God. I don't come from a believing family, but my parents kicked me out and sent me to a Baptist church Sunday school just to get me out of the house. We learnt some songs. Jesus loves me, this I know. Because the Bible says it. For the Bible tells me so. And his Holy Spirit within me, deep cries to deep, Abba, Father. Father reminds me every day, even this you know, when I sit this morning. He loves me. He loves me. <laughs> Doesn't matter how well I've done. I want to do the best I can, but that's not why he loves me. You know. He really, really, really loves you and delights. You are his delight. Meditate on that. I delight God, Man. so let me bring this into land are you are you lost today? Are you lost today? Are you listening in to us today? Are you lost? Are you far from God? Have you turned against him, and thinking, you know, I can do this on my own. I've just got to look after number one. That's what life is about. Look after number one. You know, are you, are you far from him? Have you wandered off? Turn back to him. Just take responsibility for the fact that you've rebelled against him. Just accept, OK, I've done that. I've rebelled against God. Ask him to forgive you, he will turn your back on your rebellious, independent ways, run into the arms of your loving Father. What does this repentance look like? I wonder what people... When I, I sometimes think when you know, Jesus says, here's good news, repent and uh, you know, receive the... You think, I wonder what people think that looks like. Well, I think we get a great picture of that here in Luke 15. You know, he was sat and being rebuked by older brother Pharisees for sitting and having a meal with tax collectors and sinners. What does repentance look like? It looks like turning away from my lost, lonely, miserable, rebellious existence and sitting down at a table having a meal with Jesus. It's not, you're not turning away to nothing. You're turning away to Him. You're turning away to Jesus. You're turning away to the one who came to seek and save you. You're not turning away to an abyss or you know, some dull religious routine. No, you're turning to him. You're turning to him. And when you see him, you're sitting down for dinner with Jesus. You gaze at your king. You gaze at your captain. Bearing the scars of the battle that he won in order to rescue you. And you worship him. And you can say, I hear you, Jesus. You're the love of God, seeking and finding what belongs to God. I hear you, Jesus. You are the heart of God. This is repentance, it's turning back to Him. You are the, Jesus, you are the arm of God reaching out to me. Jesus, you are the crook of the shepherd's staff in the wilderness. You are the shoulders of God where the sheep gets carried home. You are the lamp in the woman's house. You're the broom with the bristles getting me out of the corner of that dirty floor. And this meal right now where you receive us, sinners, you receive us and you say, no, you're brothers now, your sisters. He's our Father. And this is the beginning of... The, the meal, I love the fact, I don't know whether it's just me, that the first thing we do when we get to heaven is have a big slap-up meal with Jesus. <laughs> That's going to be some celebration. Man alive. I'm looking forward to that. You know, he's happy that we've come home. He's really happy. He's really happy that he found you. He really is. And he really loves being with you. He loves your... He's not like, okay, well, we let you in the back door. All right? Okay, we tolerate your presence here. Yeah, get to work. Justify your existence. Show me how much you love me. Get to work. No, he's saying, you know what? I I am happy, happy, happy that I found you. I'm really so happy to have you back. And I love being with you and I love spending time with you, and I, I love your company. I want you to hear that. God loves your company. <laughs> he really enjoys your company. I think we struggle with, what, with being delighted in. I think we struggle with it. You know, it's a wonder to me that my wife delights in me. I think, well, I don't you deserve that, you know? She delights in me. She does. It's astonishing to me. <laughs> I'm incredibly grateful for it, and I receive it, and I delight in Rachel. And... God delights in me. I don't know why, but He does. He does. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. And I delight in Him. Right? We're not turning away to nothing when we repent. We're turning to His joy and His delight. And finally, are you? Have you turned? You've been found, but you're living like a slave and not like a son. Yeah. So I'm speaking to, first of all, I'm speaking to those of you who are, who are lost. You've not, not, you know, known what it means to turn to your father. And I'm saying, turn to him. Turn to him. Ask for him to forgive you. Resolve in your heart, I'm not going to live my own rebellious way anymore. Thank you, Jesus. You made a way for me to go back to my father, who is really happy to receive me back. And now, Jesus, I'm sat at the table with you. I want to learn to live like you, Jesus. If you're lost, turn to him. But I want to speak to those who have been found, but you're still living like a slave and not living like a son or a daughter. I just want to say to you, learn to rehearse the joy of God in your life. This is what I've done. I've rehearsed it by reading again and again what the Bible tells me God thinks about me. I read it again and again. You know, well, I'm rubbish, you know, I did this and I've done that and surely God can't love me. No, hang on. The truest things that are said about me are said in the word of God. That's, that's where the truth is. So I'm gonna rehearse the truth. And then over a period of time, it got in there. And I'm all in, like Tim said. <laughs> I'm all in, I know it. I know he loves me. I know it, it's true. Uh, Learn to rehearse this. Not some frothy, superficial, happy-clappy, you know, yay, Jesus loves me. No, right. Learn to believe that God really, really, really loves you. Learn to believe it. And he is really, really, really happy to have you as his child. Really. Learn to live in that truth and it changes everything. C.S. Lewis says... There is a kind of happiness and wonder that makes you very serious. (laughs) I love that. You know, it's not a frothy, happy-clappy thing. Actually, when you understand the delight of God in your life, and when you learn what it means to give and focus all of your delight in Him, it's a really serious business. It's really serious being very happy I just want to pray for you now. Let me pray for you now just as we bring this element of our meeting to a close and I hand back to Hannah. So let's just pray now. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to seek and save us. Thank you that you've given us the responsibility by the Spirit of God to join you in... in, in searching after those who are lost and need you. Thank you, Father, you receive us back because of Jesus. You receive us back with open arms and kisses and embraces and celebration. And it makes our Father happy to find us and to have us back with him safe and sound. And we want to pray for anybody listening to this, if they're listening to it live, if they can listen to it later on who is... You know you're lost. (coughs) You know you're far from him. You know you are living your own independent life. It's a rebellion against your father. And it will not lead to joy. It will lead to misery. (coughs) Excuse me. Turn back to him. Turn back to him. In your heart, say, I am going to make that journey back to him. It's what the lost son did. He was miles away. He was in the mud with the pigs. He said, you know what? I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to start that journey. I'm going to take the first step back. Take the first step back. If you're listening to this and you're lost, tell him, say, God, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I turn away from my rebellious ways. I repent. Jesus, I'm running towards you. I'm running towards you, king and captain, victor, saviour. I'm running towards you, Jesus. I don't know what to do next, but I'm coming. I'm on my way. Turn to him now. Turn to him. Find someone you know who goes to church or is involved with and say, look, help me. I want to turn back. to. Je- I, want to, turn back. I, want to I want to come back into my home with my father and know his love. And know his joy. I want to, I want that. I want to turn away from this miserable life. I appeal to you. Turn back to God. I appeal to you. Jesus came to seek and save you. He came to rescue you. Turn back to God. Know the joy of your father in heaven. I just pray for those here who You know you've been found, but man, this is not the life you were expecting. Well, it feels more like a slave than a son or a daughter. I just—I don't seem to be able to keep God happy. I don't know what I do. I keep failing. It's miserable. No, you've misunderstood. Rehearse the truths of the Bible that you are loved by God. He is really, really, really happy that you have turned back to him. And he really, really, really loves you. You don't have to do anything else to earn that. Jesus earned that for you. His perfect obedience earned that for you. You can't earn that. You can't earn what is given freely as a gift. And you have been given sonship, daughtership, prince, princess. You've been given the right to be called a child of God of the king. Live in the truth of his happiness. Live in the truth of his acceptance. Live in the truth of his joy in you, singing over you. Relax. (laughs) Just relax. All right. And then he will show you the pathways of obedience that you can live to please him and live to become more like his son. But that's not where his love for you starts. His love for you starts because he's found you. And no one will ever take that away from you. No one, will ever, no one can ever take that away from you. So turn back to your father, not as a slave, but as a son, and receive his joy and receive his love. So Father, we thank you for these amazing stories, some of the most famous stories in the Bible. Thank you that again and again and again you're trying to remind us we were lost, lost, lost. It's a miserable, miserable, miserable existence. But you have come and you have found us. You have found us. You have found us. And in your heart there is great joy, great joy, great joy. And we delight in you, Father, because you delight in us. And we celebrate and rejoice with you. And thank you. We serve such a King. We serve such a God. We serve such a Father, and we say, "Amen, Amen." Holy, holy, holy is the King. Holy, holy, holy is our God. Thank you that you come. We can walk freely into your presence, not like Isaiah terrified at the threshold, thinking, "Whoa, I'm going to be burnt to a cinder." No, I can walk boldly into the presence as the Son of our Father in heaven, and I can rejoice with Him and. Know what it means to live out my life with Him uh, for eternity as a blessed son, a blessed daughter. What a gospel! You know, I read somewhere that, and I love this: that the love of God for sinners is the mainspring of the gospel. I love that He loves us when we were far from Him and dirty. You know, He came and found us, and He is so pleased that He's found us. And Lord, thank you for your. Thank you for this gospel. Thank you for the God you are. And we praise you and we give you our lives in worship. Amen.